electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. The best thing about the U.S. economy is also one of the toughest things for the Fed to get control of is a consumer-driven economy with the employment levels we had, Joe, is a, is a good thing, and that spending and that wage growth. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan is talking about the Fed's battle to equilibrium and so much more at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. The reality is, is that I think they have to be more careful where they are now because they can overshoot. After three years of disruption, the world's leaders in business, government, and civil society, plus our own Squawk team, are reunited in the Alps. You're not cold, you got a jacket. He's tougher than the rest of us. Brian Moynihan, for one, is glad to be back and glad to report his economic outlook might not be so bad. Consumer spending is strong. Consumers have money in their accounts. They spend it down a little bit. They still have a lot there. So my belief is a mild recession. Moynihan on consumers, global risk, and even opportunities on the blockchain. It is extremely hard to find the compelling value proposition, yet it will come because information, data, and ownership that can be accountable across jurisdiction is interesting. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Squawk Pod reports from Davos. Bank of America's Brian Moynihan begins right now. We are back. It's the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, back in person in January for the first time in three years. We did actually make the trek to Davos last summer, in May, a nice warm change of pace. But winter's part of the tradition, so here we are again. Do we have uh, hand warmers? Oh yeah, I'll take a a pair of you. The last time we and global leaders convened in this wintry alpine town, the world was a really, really different place. The CDC uh, has identified a case of coronavirus uh, in Washington state, the Wuhan strain of this. Um, If you remember SARS, that affected GDP, travel-related effects. do you have you been briefed by the CDC? I have. Are there words about a pandemic at this point? No, we're not at all, and uh, we're we have it totally under control. It's one person coming in from China, and we have it under control. It's uh, going to be just fine. Yep, that was our own Joe Kernan, and then President Donald Trump in Davos in 2020 with the infamous soundbite that led us straight into the COVID-19 crisis. Since then, at least 6.7 million people have died from COVID-19. Economies have shut down and opened again. Central banks around the world whipped out every tool in their toolboxes to bring our economies back to stability. And Russia started a war in Ukraine that still threatens the global supply chain. And yet somehow we're back to normal almost. Chinese leaders after nearly three years of China's zero COVID policy lockdowns are in Switzerland too, swapping ideas with the rest of the world's elite. And this year, the World Economic Forum is all about public 
private collaboration and finding stability in a turbulent economic and social time. This next interview was recorded on location in Switzerland, of course, outside, as always, with a really lovely view of Davos. Brian, thanks for coming out early. You're our first guest. Starting off with a bang. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan sat down with CNBC Squawk Box anchors Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Brian, first of all, welcome. It is great to see you in person. Great to kick things off here at WEF. It's great to be here and great to see the snow outside instead of the sunshine last May. So yep. Yeah. Remember that? Yep. <laughs> and some bells ringing for you right That's now, too, nice, in the background. It? As That's we... ushering Joe in. Another, it is. Sound. It is. I, I, I thought since you're our first guest, you could just tell us a little bit about how the world's changed since January 2020, the last time we had a January Davos uh, no. meeting of all these people. You know, think about the, the pandemic and the war, Ukraine, Russia, Asia, and Ukraine. I mean, these things, when we left here, weren't even contemplated. We heard a little bit about this. Uh, people getting sick in the part of China. And so, and then think, you know, three years later, effectively, you've seen uh, uh, the ability of companies to push all the workers to home and bring them back. You've seen the world push forward. Joe just said, you know, look at China and lockdown grew. You, you've seen, you know, massive uh, intervention on the monetary side and now having to be withdrawn. Um, you saw massive, massive fiscal policy. So it's a, a very different place. And I, th- I think that's what's causing it a little harder to understand how this is all going to unwind is because how fast it had to come on and how... Vo- how big a volume it came on it. Yeah. Um, just in terms of the economy, I mean, obviously, this is a moving target. And I know your team has some news today. They're changing their economic outlook slightly. Still talking about a, a soft recession coming, but pushing that out a little bit, a little later in the year, because consumer spending has been a lot stronger than most people anticipated. Yeah. And so our team, uh, the research team, basically, if we were here last year at this time, which we couldn't be, but if we were here, they would have said at the end of 22, you'd have seen a recession. Then they pushed it into 23, and now they're pushing to mid-23. And that's because the uh, this is the U.S. The strength of the U.S. economy continues to come through. And as the Fed raises rates, they're slowing it down. But there's a lot of underlying growth in consumer spending, not at the same rate. The wages growing, and inflation is hurting people, and they're trying to get it under control. But it's interesting. So they basically say mild recession beginning middle of this year. Fed raises funds to five and a five to five and a quarter, but they do it in 325 basis, 325 basis point increase as opposed to 50 and 25, meaning they'll take more time. Unemployment still gets to five, but comes on a little later. And, and so I think they just have kind of the you know, old pig and the snake analogy. It pushed it through a little bit and we'll see what happens. Do you agree with that assessment? Because sometimes the, the management perspective has been different than the House analyst perspective. I, well, we've got internal accounts right. that we, I talk to, and we have the, uh, the right. research team so with the best in the world. The, I, we agree with that. What we see is the consumer spending across our customer base has slowed, which means that's good news and bad news. So first quarter of 22 over first quarter of 21, 14.5%, about 5%, fourth quarter of 22 over fourth quarter of 20, uh, 21 so far this month, actually, it's back up 6 7%. So it's resilient, but that 5% is more consistent with a uh, 2% growth economy as opposed to a faster-growing economy or in lower inflation, honestly. But that consumer spending is strong. The consumers have money in their accounts. They spend it down a little bit. They still have a lot there. So my belief is a mild recession. The conundrum I keep asking, you can ask the economists, you have, how can you have unemployment only get to what we used to call full employment at four and a half and only get to five and have a recession? Are we going to have an unemploymentless recession? Right. And, and you keep asking that question, and that's where I think you start to see the real tension. You don't tension know what a recession back. is anymore. Yeah. It's not two back-to-back quarters of, right. of negative. I, I just ask everyone this. Is the market wrong, the 10 years wrong, and the Fed's right? Or is the market right and the Fed wrong? Why should we th- think the Fed's going to be right? 
given, given the, the, uh, a year and a half ago what, what they're they can't forecast. They use backward indicators anyway. They, they use statistics that have been compiled over the past three months. So why should we think that they know five and a quarter is, is, is going to be necessary? And I think they're back into that time frame where it's, you know, it's, it's sort of climbing a wall one, one step at a time as opposed to any great scheme. They had to get rates up to fight inflation. They're having an impact there. The good side inflation is coming down. And frankly, China opening may contribute to more supply, which therefore could lower uh, prices. Um, it, the tough thing in the U.S. is a shortage of labor and a shortage of people. Even though the turnover rates in companies come down dramatically, you hear about people readjusting their headcount now. It doesn't mean they aren't hiring. We, we had to hire 5,000 people in the fourth quarter of 2022 <laughs> it, you know, it, just to maintain neutral headcount type of thing. But if so, wage gains just went to where inflation is, yeah. which that'd be nice, that'd right? Be nice. That'd be fine. Yeah. They need to say, oh, no, we don't like that. We need, we need to do more work. They ought to be happy with that, which yeah. we're seeing already. Yeah. 5% is is low historically, but you're still, you can do the math on what one and a half percent means, how many people lose their jobs. Yep. Is that really necessary? So well, do I you think, think short rates get to five and a quarter? No, that's, that's what I think. I think if, if you listen to dialogue around this discussion with economists and with the Fed, and others, they're trying to figure it out because to your point, this is a bit unprecedented. The idea that consumers in our customer base still have multiples of money in their checking account they had pre-pandemic, this late in the game, this late in the recessionary slow growth environment is very different. They didn't have that money going into the financial crisis. The difference between the housing market, which is tipped over, versus you know pre-financial crisis, the LTVs in the bank portfolio is like fifty-some percent. It's just, there's, it's not overland, it's not overborrowed. The leverage isn't there. People are saying the credit card balances are up. They're still below where they were in nineteen, and we thought credit was pretty good then. So I think this is the tension that's going to go on. But the good news is, in the best economy in the world, in America, you're seeing the consumers do what they do best, which is go out and travel and do things, and that's good. But all those great things you were just describing, I was going, yeah, preach, preach. They were, aren't those all good things? But you were using it to say that the Fed has more work to do. That's so, that's so, uh, that's not the way to run an economy. So all those things bother the Fed. Saving rates up. Oh, no. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, people, their credit limits aren't, oh, no. They're, I've been consistent. The, the best thing about the U.S. economy is also one of the toughest things to, for the Fed to get control of is a consumer-driven economy with employment levels we have, Joe, is a, is a good thing. And that spending and that wage growth. Now, they've got to bring it back into equilibrium. And, and the question is whether... The question is what is equilibrium and whether these metrics make any, make any sense anymore? Well, it... I, you can, you're going to have 8,000 economists on here and they can debate it. The reality is, is that I think they have to be more careful where they are now because they can overshoot. Before they weren't taking inflation on, to your point, a year and a half ago, people were telling us this isn't transitory. That day went by. They're going to be resolute to prove that they have it. On the other hand, they've got to be more careful of overshooting, to Joe's point. And if they don't need to, why? And I think that's you, right. uh, With you, CEO of, of the biggest bank, do you, is it like taking castor oil for you? Is, we got to do it for inflation? Or do you just wish, don't you wish they just leave it alone for, for your customers it, and for your business? Inflation, if they don't get inflation under control, you go back and listen to the Volcker commentary when, right. when those of do us that live that through that. you think that that is a possibility? I don't see anything like the seven. Not as much now. It, it, uh, Twelve months ago, it was, a, it was a lot bigger travel. Because all the yeah. money printing, maybe. Hey, Brian, can I ask you about Twitter? They borrowed $13 billion from banks, including yours. And from what I've been reading, it looks like the first payments on an annualized basis, $1.5 billion, could start as soon as the end of January. Have you had conversations with Twitter I, about any of this? You know, I don't get involved in individual decisions in the credit or else that would be a very slow enterprise to <laughs> respond. So I'll leave that to the people working on it and to the owners of Twitter you can talk to. But, you know, look, we're comfortable. We'll get to it. How, how do you feel about selling, selling debt at a loss? We've done it before. 
Yeah, we've been in this business for a long, long time. Right. And so, so, you know, when the market stops cold, you make your mark. So I went through our P&L. We had, right. you know, strong revenues in trading and strong revenues in FS and banking, even though they're down, you know, the industry is down. We're fine. Can I ask you a different debt-related question, which is the mortgage business? Yeah. Fascinatingly to me, and I think we were all fascinated by, you know, Wells Fargo effectively getting out of the business, yeah. right? I mean, I don't, know they, I don't know if they say it that way, but kind of. And it feels like most of the big banks, JPM, even you, to some degree, are not putting the emphasis in the mortgage business the way you used to. You may disagree with that, but yeah. I'm curious what you think is happening. You, and you remember who you were talking to. I know. I know exactly. In 2010, 11, 12, we made all these decisions. We got out of the, broker, the business driven by loan brokers, got out of the business driven by correspondents. Every loan we make, we've looked in the eyes of that consumer and said, you're a customer, right. we'll make the loan. And so basically, we've been doing that for 10 or 12 years. So we have... Uh, about a you know three four five percent market share in mortgages, um, we can do more there, and we continue to right. to drive it and grow it. But it's it's, a, it's not a separate business. We decided a decade plus ago it wasn't a separate business. So it's part of the core consumer franchise. We do mortgage loans to our customers, not entirely restricted, right. since we have sixty million customers. We so that's the good news on the big banks actually having smaller market share. The I don't know if it's bad news or good news that a lot of smaller players have a lot of that share. And what that ultimately means, especially if you think we move into a downturn. And it's in the government uh, uh, agencies right. and the guarantees. And so, you know, look, we made the decisions that we wanted to do the mortgage business this way. Other people over time have made similar decisions, but it's been right for our customers. And so, you know, at the end of the day, we have 200 billion plus mortgage loans on our balance sheet. And so it's not like we aren't doing this business. It's just that we've, we've geared it towards really focused on who our customers are and how to help them which lowers the cost of doing business, which lowers the angst as you go into recessionary environments, unemployment environments. Now, on the other hand, we do a low and moderate income. We just, you know, we did $5 billion and we did a $15 billion program. So we service that, that lending uh, capacity with partners and others that make it work. But it's, it's, it's a commodity business. And so we had to make a judgment. We made it. What are your goals here at WEF this time around? What's the, the big overall line? So, you know, I'm ending my tenure as the IBC chairman of the International Business Council. We'll continue to work on the metrics. We've got 200 companies disclosing those metrics, which show how the only system that's going to make the progress in the world is capitalism, and this shows you how capitalism is making progress. So our goal is to keep that momentum going. Anna Botin's taken over. is terrific, and we're going to keep that momentum going. We're up to 200 companies. Four years ago, you looked at me like I was crazy when we said it. Now we have 200 companies doing it across the world. And we're working to have dialogue. You know, in the end of the day, we've got to start to repair some of the friction from last year's. And frankly, not being together is part of that friction. You've always cared about all your stakeholders, Brian. Okay? If you don't say that, then... It's like, oh, yeah, we were, oh, you should have seen the way we used to operate before yeah. we started caring about no, them. we've always said We've it. always cared about them. Yeah, that's just, our banks are creatures did, of community. So 230 you, years ago, some people got together and said, how do we help the community? Before the blow-up, FTX and all this stuff, did you ever get to a point where you thought, you know, you, you talked to some people, you know, at Bank of America and said, look into this stuff. Uh, I don't want to be blindsided if the future yeah. is crypto. And, and did you ever get there? Yeah. And now have you gone back the other way or how do you, it, it, it could be disruptive to your business. No, we look at it um, consistently. What is the value proposition of the payment system that's promoted by that? Okay. And so what have we done? We've driven P2P payment systems, real-time payment systems, connecting worldwide real-time payment systems. Those things are, allow you know, to get to the small balance transfer from country to country by consumer to a small business, by you know, me buying something and out of Brazil or something through e-commerce and stuff. And so that's stuff we have to keep working on driving down the cost. Inside, the payment system works pretty damn efficiently uh, across the world. When you go to the, the blockchain side, we have 200 patents applied for 100 granted in blockchain. 
you know, it, it, so we understand it. We try to apply it. it. It is extremely hard to find the compelling value proposition yet. It will come because information, data, and ownership that can be accountable across jurisdiction is interesting. But, you know, we're sitting with 100 issued patents. I think we have more than most people will ever dream of have. And we try to we apply it in versus business. We've never a part of the cryptocurrency side, and I let you guys uh, talk would, about that in all. In general, you, wouldn't, you don't think bank CEOs just, by definition, don't want to be disintermediated. Digital movement of money. Well, by the time you get up and start with your first people tomorrow morning, we'll move three or four trillion dollars digitally. Sixty <laughs> percent of our consumer money moves digitally. It's not it, it, the concept of digital movement of money. We're for in a big way. It's right. been going on for years. And you, this is not a green screen. You look like you're in a, a studio somewhere. You're not cold. You got a jacket. We're sitting here like this, and people are at home going, what, are "He's they a little just, manlier." Are they than just? The rest of us. Are you just manlier? Or? You know, I, I've been doing this with you now here for. And you never, right. But never it is, we're outside, you yeah. would acknowledge yeah, but, that. But, it's it's like but we're going to yes, be sitting here for three hours. Yes, we're going to be sitting here for three hours. And he's, you know, he's gonna be he can't there. wait to get off this it, it seemed like three hours for him. But and, it, it, and he's uh, tougher but, than the rest of us. That's true, too. Uh, it's, uh, right. This is a wonderful place, uh, and I think the dialogue is really needed to get just people sitting in rooms and talking about it. Whether they agree or not, let's just get people talking. I agree. And that's what I'm here. Thanks for being here. I want to thank you for joining us and talking to us today. We appreciate it. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Thank you for listening to this special Squawk Pod Reports, chock full of content from our anchors and our production team who are on the ground in Davos. If you want to see the view from our set, check out our Twitter. We're documenting all the excitement there at Squawk CNBC. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, wherever they may be. And Squawk Pod is produced by me, Cameron Costa, Katie Kramer, who's in Davos too, and Caroline Rahotis. John Lazration is our editor. Have a great day. We'll see you here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.